Our first scripture reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 59, Isaiah 59, beginning at verse 9. Using that blue Bible, it's page 619. And the first part of our reading here is going to be Isaiah's own definition of what's going on in the culture, and then God's own response down in verses 14 to 17. But I want you to notice the blindness as, uh, as mentioned here of the people of God. So Isaiah 59, beginning of verse 9, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, denying Yahweh, turning back and following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Yahweh saw it and it displeased him, but there was no justice that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there were, was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And now we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1. It's on page 1018 in that blue Bible we continue our series. For those of you visiting, we've been doing a series through 1 Peter, which we finished up not long ago, and now we're moving into 2 Peter, but it's all one series. Memories, manners, and mandates for God's minority people. So this is where we are. Last week, Pastor West began and dealt with verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, and I'll pick up with verses 5 through 11, but let me begin reading at verse 1. First, second Peter, second Peter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith, it says in the Greek, received a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine, of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What I've read to you from Isaiah, what I've read to you from 2 Peter is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God and Savior, by whose power we have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. O aid us, aid us in making every effort to supplement our faith with these qualities. To be diligent to confirm our calling and election that we may never fall. Hear our prayer, O Lord, and let our cry come unto you. Amen. You may be seated. And so the sermon notes are on the back of a worship guide with some space there for notes, and questions for kids, questions for big kids called adults, all kinds of questions back there. This last week, I was looking, actually it was two weeks ago, I was looking around and I found that the Center for Disease Control, their website, CDC, actually has a page called something like uh, the Living Memory page, the Living Memory of the Influenza 1918 page, or something like that. It had story after story of people who have now died, but they were our last touch of living memory with the 1918 influenza. So I drew one of those out because I thought it was very striking and goes with this sermon. So Jeannie Shinnick, I assume that's how you pronounce her name, Jeannie Shinnick had a difficult life. She lived through her father's suicide when she was 14. She survived the Depression. She waded through World War II with all the rationing books and with all the limits and so forth, and then the news of the dead and, and all of those things. And then she came, then came the four-year period where she lost her husband and his entire family. But the catastrophe that likely colored her life with the darkest shades of gray and black came when she was about seven or eight in 1918. She was sick at home and not the only one in the house and in the town that was ailing. There was a vicious sickness sweeping through her small town outside of Philadelphia. Years later, she told her children about what she saw as she stumbled out, still ailing, but she stumbled out on the front porch of her house And she stared across the street at her neighbor's house, and they were there, dead, on the porch. And then she began to look up and down the street and noticed her neighbors up and down the street in their little town were lying dead in their front yards, some in their streets, even some of their pets had succumbed to the pandemic. It was the horrific 1918 pandemic. From that day to the day she died, her children said, Jeannie felt she lived in a menacing planet, a threatening world. Well, no wonder. A raging pandemic infecting all. Well, keep that story in mind as we work through our passage here. Here in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verses, verses uh, 3 through 4, Peter's laid the foundation, and now beginning in verse 5 through 11, he's going to build on this foundation where he is going to describe our divinely granted supplements and supports, supplements, supports. He's going to warn us against shortfalls, and then he will end with stimulations, and there's the four points. 
So the supplements in verses 5 through 7, chapter 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. And I encourage you to have your Bibles open so you can follow along. So after declaring, after declaring how God's power, verse 3, God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and how that by God's grace in Jesus Christ, we have now become, in this union with Christ, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Again, to take up Calvin's paraphrase of scripture promises, what Jesus is by nature, he makes us by grace. After Peter has laid all that out in verse 3 and 4, or verse 3, he then moves us forward and more deeply into the very inoculation that we need to withstand the viral infections that are starting to riddle the churches to whom he's writing. I think Pastor West is right. We talked about it the other day very seriously, and I think he was right as he presented that to you, that 1 Peter is very much about the pressure out there, the suffering that has come, which now appears to have subsided, and as has historically happened repeatedly, when the pressure is off, then the weirdness comes out, or, or something like that. And so 2 Peter is dealing with the weirdness, the perversions that are beginning to crop up in the church. In fact, he will spend most of his ink on those perversions. All of chapter 2, and really almost all of chapter 3 of 2 Peter is on that. And so here's the inoculation. He's going to begin here then with giving us, laying out for us the, the inoculation we need to boost up our immunity, to withstand the viral infections, beginning to riddle the churches to whom he's writing. And notice how he begins verse 5, for this reason. First three words, for this reason. Well, Peter, for what reason? For the reason that is flowing, the reason flowing out of God's goodness, the fact that we are able to become partakers of the divine nature, but even more, for this reason that we have escaped, verse 4, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire is first, clearly, original sin. It's really interesting that Peter uses sinful desire at the end of that statement. And then you go back to Genesis 3. And there, after the serpent has convinced the woman that God is not good and not trustworthy, she then disobeys him, eating the forbidden fruit. And this is what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, yes, is referring to original sin, but it's even more than that. It's the way our catechism puts it. Not only original sin, but all actual transgressions which proceed from original sin, including all the motions, as we might say. And notice that the extent of this corruption, this dark infection that is caused by sinful desire, notice the extent at the end of verse 4, it is, all, it is global, it's pandemic proportions. The corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, it's pandemic proportions. And so we desperately need the vaccine to ward it off. 
And so Peter prescribes supplements, if you'll let me use that S word, seeing as I'm on an S kick today. He prescribes supplements that will boost our immunity, that will aid us to stay healthy when all around are ailing and sick. Verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with. And then he mentions the seven supplements. Now I want you to notice that the supplements that he mentions at there in verse 5 are not steps. I think most people know that, but let me just illustrate it. It's not steps, okay? So, you know, virtue is not the first step, and then you step up here to knowledge, and you leave virtue behind. You know what you do in steps? You always leave the step behind, right, the one below you, right? And then you take the next step up. Oh, this is uh, self-control, so now I've left virtue and knowledge behind. Oh, and this is uh, steadfastness, and now I've left virtue, knowledge, and self-control behind. No, they're not steps. So if you thought that, then they're not steps. I'm just going to tell you. All right? They're not steps. These supplements instead are like SEAL Team 6. They're like a fire team that needs each member in the fire team to conduct this operation so we can get out of here alive. We need the machine gunner, the rifleman, the grenadier, the fire team leader, and so forth. We need them all to work together. That's what these supplements are. In fact, faith leads the way. Is the fire team leader, if you'll let me use that illustration, which probably doesn't resonate with too many of you, but it does with me. Faith is the fire team leader who needs each member on this team. And so the other seven team members protect and preserve the fire team leader faith. And so there's virtue, there's knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. There's seven of them. These, there's a redundancy as Peter lays this out. You should have heard the redundancy. It runs throughout. To virtue, add knowledge. To all of knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add steadfastness. To steadfastness, add godliness. To godliness, add brotherly affection. To brotherly affection, add love. You hear the redundancy, right? It's intended to hammer home for us the need for each and every one of these team members. So it's not steps. This is a team. Supplement your faith with this team of seven. Three further thoughts about these supplements. First off, notice that we're to make every effort. For this reason, make every effort. Now when Peter says that, he doesn't mean that we're to go out to the five and dime. Well, there's no five and dimes anymore. I guess the dollar store is the closest thing to a five and dime. But it doesn't mean we go out to the dollar store and buy up our own effort or something like that. We don't garner effort by our own steam and muscle. How do I know Peter doesn't mean that? Because of verse 3. Peter's already told us. Where we get our effort from. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has given us the effort, if you want to call it that. And so, notice that Peter is in complete agreement with Paul. In complete alignment with Paul. When Paul wrote in that passage that I quoted during the announcements today in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation. Don't work 
for your salvation. Work out the implications of your salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will, to desire, and to do. We don't garner this of our own strength, drinking a five-hour energy drink and somehow we got effort. No, it's all there already given to us by our Lord, by our God. It's grace alone. And so we're to make every effort. This, this is the empowered by the plentiful divine grant. Here's the second thing to notice, is that these supplements that Peter lists here, Echo the fruit of the Spirit that we read earlier before the confession of sin. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and Desires. There's so much overlap between Galatians 5, 22 through 24 and 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. It's shocking. They're in complete alignment here. Peter and Paul are pointing out the same concept. We need the spirit-grown, spirit-cultivated supplements in our fight against the corruption coming from sinful desire. We need that inoculation that God gives against the flesh with its passions and desires. Make every effort. Where do we get that? In the divine power that grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But finally, I want you to observe once more how Peter, like all the apostles in every New Testament letter, is right back to our Lord's new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you're to love one another. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples. What are the last two qualities that we're to supplement our faith with? Look at them. Verse 7. Brotherly affection and love. Oh, how about that? None of the New Testament letters ever leaves behind the new commandment, but always comes back to it because it's huge in Jesus' world rescue operation. And dear brothers and sisters, if you don't know this, hopefully the cat will now be out of the bag, I will die and be buried with that message on my heart and on my lips because it is so stinking significant in the New Testament. The story is told about John the Apostle that after Patmos and after he had been persecuted and other things that happened and his body got older and it began to break down. Some of us know more about that as we get older, right? The body, his body began to break down. He didn't have much energy. And so towards the end of his life, they would bring him to church. And the only way they could get him to church was just carry him. And they would carry him up to the front so he could preach. And the, the rumors are that John the Apostle's sermon was always, at the end of his life, little children love one another. Amen. I will have that message on my lips and on my heart to the day I'm buried because it's in every New Testament letter. It is a top drawer issue. And there it is. It's part of the seven, the team of seven. 
inoculate us from the disease, the virus that is infecting the world, the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so these supplements then give us supports, and that's in verse 8. Verse 8, for if these qualities, the seven he just mentioned, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if these qualities, I'm going to paraphrase, if these qualities have you, and you have them, and they're growing and increasing in and through you. That's what Peter's driving at there. Now look, it's springtime, and it's gardening season, okay? I planted my garden, so you're going to get a bunch of gardening illustrations from this point on. All right, so I'm just hanging tight. Notice that Peter's scheme here is not a stagnant scheme, right? Think of your vegetable garden. How do you know there's life in your vegetable garden? Because you see the life. How? In the growth, in the increase, and when it fills out, when it leaves out, when it blossoms, when it flourishes. And then you go, oh, the soil's doing good, the enough water in there, fertilizers in there, life, woohoo! Well, that's what I do when I garden. I don't know about you, but, but at our house, we have garden boxes that we build out of cedar wood fences that people are throwing away. I like to repurpose wood, and cedar's great for garden boxes. And so, I, if you ever want to know how to make garden boxes with cedar wood fence pa panels, just come talk to me. I've got the whole plan in my head. I can lay it out for you. But we made these boxes last year, made some more this year. But last year, we made four of them. And what we did with three of them is as we laid them in the ground and stuck, stuck them in the ground, you have to stink, stick them in so far. We lined them with a thick plastic. We lined them all with thick plastic, at least those three, because we're brilliant. Just to let you know. <laughs> but then one day, as I realized that the plants in those three boxes weren't growing very well, they looked rather sickly, I started digging around in the dirt in those boxes to try and loosen it up. And I was overwhelmed with the rotting stench of spoiled dirt. You know what spoiled dirt smells like? Sewer. Why is that? Because of spoiled dirt, the good enzymes in it and the bacteria in it and the other matter that's in there die and the dirt just rots. Everything rots in there in a bad way, not a good way. There's good rot, bad rot. That was bad rot. And so then, we realized that the water had stayed in those boxes because we had put wonderful plastic lining in those boxes. And everything just drowned and died. Peter's scheme is not a stagnant scheme like that. Peter's scheme is actually one of thriving. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... And the result of having these lively living supports is that, Peter goes on to say in verse 8, they keep you. These qualities keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, have you ever doubted, ever doubted the goodness of God? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever doubted the goodness of God? Have you ever felt in moments like you were drowning with John Bunyan's Christian in the slough of the spawn or sloth of the spawn, however you want to pronounce all that. Have you ever found your faith flat and flaccid? 
The God who grants you all things that pertain to life and godliness by His divine power has given you the supports you need that keep you to weather those moments and come through alive. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how verse 8 brings us right back to knowing Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Jesus Christ that does include data and factoids, as I mentioned the other day, but it is knowing the person. Effective. They keep you effective in knowing Jesus better. They keep you fruitful in knowing Jesus more deeply. And so these supports are very much like tomato cages. I told you it was was garden time, right? You know, your tomato cages. Or remember the fences you put up sometimes for your sweet peas, right? The same kind of thing. You put your tomato cage in there. By the way, I attached all seven of those qualities on here so you would get the point. The tomato cage. What is a tomato cage meant to do? It's meant to have the tomato plant grow up to keep its branches off of what? Off of a damp dirt, so it rots, right? So to keep it from rotting, it's actually the cage is there to support it so it grows healthier and healthier, puts out wonderful prize-winning tomatoes or whatever, right? For the mockingbirds to eat, obviously, at our house sometimes. (laughs) But that's what it's for. It's to support so so the tomato plant can grow its roots downward and bear its fruits upward, to quote Jeremiah. These supports that Peter has mentioned are like the cages we put around our tomato plants. They allow us to grow. They allow us to get the sun to expand and not rot by lying in the dirt. The supports are essential. And part of the reason why the supports are essential is because there are shortfalls. Verse 9. Verse 9, the shortfalls. Here in verse 9, Peter begins to touch on the problem. The problem that he's going to address in great detail when he gets to chapters 2 and 3. But he starts out here addressing it very graciously. For whoever lacks these qualities, whoever lacks these supplements and supports, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. And of course, as soon as I read that, I think about me because I can't see a thing without my glasses. Right? I understand this passage really well. It's so nearsighted that he is blind. Think back to our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 59, groping for the wall, can't find it, walking in broad daylight as if it was pitch black, dark, stumbling about. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Notice that these qualities, these supplements that give us supports, really are essential in our walk of genuine faith. Because if we lack them, we fall flat, we stumble into this trap or into that self-inflicted pit. And like I said, I have to wear glasses 
to see clearly. If I don't wear my glasses, Moose would arrest me if I was driving. He'd have to pull me over, right? Because I would be dangerous. They're hugely important. But to lack those supplements then, we end up stumbling into this trap or that self-inflicted pit. Notice how Peter puts it, they have forgotten. That's a very significant word. They've forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. In the Old Testament, and we'll talk about this more next week when you look down at verse 12 through 15, but in the Old Testament, forgetfulness and infidelity go hand in glove. Forgetfulness, forgetting who God is and what he has done, and infidelity, breaking faith with him, go hand in glove. And you see that in many places. That's why this sermon series is called Memories, Manners, and Mandates for God's Minority People. But I want you to notice that Peter is already addressing the heart of the trouble that he will focus on in chapters 2 and 3. Some Christians have become infected and have forgotten because they have not flourished in the divine power that gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They've not invested themselves in the supplements and the supports that God's divine power has granted to us. These qualities, Peter puts it, which means then they have made themselves self-inflicted. They have made themselves vulnerable to the sickening virus of corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. They have made themselves vulnerable, thus self-inflicted, because they have turned away from those things or not invested in them. My friends, these forgetful Christians are the very ones that Peter will mention later in chapter 2, verse 20. You can't confuse what's going on in chapter 2. There are some in chapter 2 who are outright predators, and they are spreaders of the disease because they're zombies. And then there are the Christians who have been, some have been infected, and that's who he talks about in chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. It's not that they have lost their salvation, but they have, by self-infliction, have made themselves into a most miserable state because they have forgotten. They fled the inoculation that God gives. And thus, are ailing and sickened. That's the shortfalls. And it's not where Peter wants anyone to go. And so he then turns to stimulations. Verse 10 and 11. Stimulations. Notice that in verse 10 and 11, Peter is, a, is stimulating us to be proactive. He's not stimulating us to go out there and make ourselves savable. He's not stimulating us to go out there and prepare ourselves for grace. You can't come to that conclusion after you've read verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. He's stimulating us to rouse our hearts with God's confirmations. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never, what? Fall. We're to confirm our calling. We don't make ourselves called and elect. 
Peter's talking to Christians who have already, by grace alone and Christ alone, received by faith alone, who are clearly the elect and who are the ones who are called, were simply to confirm by practicing these qualities. To confirm our calling and election is the idea of making it hold fast. That's the way it is in the Greek. It's kind of like tying off your boat. You know, if you ever, everybody ever have a boat in a dock? You ever done a boat at a dock? Right? You pull your boat up, pop, 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 pop. And then to make sure that it's there tomorrow morning, you know, if you're still going to stay there, you tie it to the dock so it doesn't float away, right? You confirm it. It's your boat. You confirm it by tying it down. It's the same thing here. Confirm our calling and election. Hold fast. Making it hold fast. So tie down your calling. Tie down your election for the sake of your own comfort and for the sake of building up your immunity and building up your resistance to the infection that is raging globally. So how do you tie down this calling and election for your own welfare, for your own comfort? How do you do that? Peter says, by practicing these qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. I think that's important. Sometimes we doubt that we're saved Because we're all unbelievers at heart, right? We're all still unbelievers at heart. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes we doubt because we're just disbelieving. Sometimes we doubt because God's Holy Spirit in his people is kicking our backsides. Because we're not flourishing, practicing these qualities. And so sometimes the doubt is actually remedial. Part of the stimulation to confirm our calling and election. And so then Peter moves on in verse 11. For in this way, practicing these qualities, you will be richly provided, will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My friends, the entrance is open to all who are Christ's. The hard reality, though, is that some believers will find the way that has been richly provided will find the way hard going because they have been shooting off their feet and their toes by self-inflicted shortfalls and forgettings. But the way is open still, and they will get in nonetheless by grace alone. I remember one of those fatherly conversations I had with one of our children, I won't mention male or female or any of those things, so nobody gets in trouble, like me. But this, one of our offspring said to me one day, Daddy, I want to go do this. And I said, you know, I've actually been down that road. There's a side of me that most people don't know, which is good, a past, a history. I've been down that road and it's a dead-end alley, and it's dark, and there's a brick wall down there, and it's going to hurt like all Hades when you hit that wall. I don't care, Daddy. I want to go that way anyway. And off that child went. That's what Peter is talking about in this simulation. There are some who unfortunately will find themselves making the way difficult because they're shooting off their own feet. They're making it hard for themselves by turning away from 
the supplements and the supports that God has richly provided for us. Others will find, by the grace of God, by the goodness of God, that the way is a bit easier because they're listening. They're saying, yeah, I need these supplements and to grow in these. And so Peter is stimulating us. He's not stimulating with guilt, but he's stimulating with reason. He's stimulating with hope. He's stimulating with, stimulating with genuine satisfaction. Well, my friends, to try to dock this boat, so to speak, to escape the corruptions that are in the world because of sinful desire, to become immune, as it were, to this global pandemic, we must revel in the divine power that has been granted to us and that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We need to soak in the very promises through which we become partakers of the divine nature. Like the biblical promises paraphrased with John Calvin. What Jesus is by nature, He makes us by grace. To escape that corruption. And further, we need to make every effort to take in the supplements that God Himself has given us for support. You probably have heard the preacher's story of the guy, I think Mike Wells, I think he was in Louisiana, was the story. One of those hurricanes comes in that starts flooding everything, and there he is in his house, and people are so deep right now in the flood, the flat-bottom boat guy comes by. But, 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 Joe, Joe, get in the boat, get out of here, the flood's coming, it's going to wipe us all out. No, 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 I believe the Lord's going to save me, y'all. All right, Joe, whatever, but, 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 I'll be good. The water keeps rising and he starts getting up on the kitchen table because it's so deep. Here comes the next boat, same scenario. Joe, Joe, no, no, I believe the Lord's going to save me. Gets higher, he goes up into the second floor because now the whole first floor is drowning. He gets up to the second floor and here comes the Coast Guard. You down there, come with us. You're going to drown. No, no, I believe the Lord's going to save me. Off they go. Then he gets to the roof of the house, right? The water's coming up. Here comes the last person in the area where the big boat comes sweeping by. And he says, Joe, Joe, get in the boat. This is it. Everybody else is gone and you're going to drown. No, I believe the Lord's going to save me. And then poor Joe died, drowned in the flood. And as he stood before the pearly gates, he stood there looking at God. He says, Lord, I thought you was going to save me. Joe, I sent you four ways to get out of there. What's wrong with you? That's the problem with us, right? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's grace. Embrace them. Revel in them. Revel in His divine power. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Those virtues, those qualities. Instead of pushing against the support. So have you ever seen a tomato plant push over its tomato cage? They do. And then it just falls over and it just, well, that cage didn't do you any good because the tomato plant was pushing the cage. I want to go down. I want to go in the dirt. <laughs> Revel, enjoy the supports that God has put up, that he's given us. And don't push against them. Let's pray. 
We thank you, O Lord our God, that you have given us all things by your divine power, have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We confess to you, Lord, that sometimes we don't want life and godliness. And that's one reason why we don't take up this team that you have given us. Lord, we confess that to you and we ask you, we implore you, please forgive us. Sometimes, Lord, we are lazy and don't like this make every effort language. Lord, remind us again, it's your divine power that has granted to us all things, even the every effort, that we can rise up and rejoice and go forward in your strength. Lord, I pray for all of us and each of us that we would flourish. Our faith would grow stronger as we supplement our faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with brotherly affection, with love. That we, would, that we would watch it and feel it and see it, making us fruitful and effective in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for any who heard this sermon who have been resisting, been like the tomato pushing over the cage, that this would be the day that they would cry out to you and confess their sins, not shifting their blame. It's somebody else's fault, but they would own their own fault in it and turn to you and find, yes, you are a God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.